Welcome everyone, this is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 250. <laughs> I have Rafe Blanford with me, he's on a sugar eye. I am indeed, uh, we're recording this relatively late at night, I've had some chocolate to speed me through the next 30 or 40 minutes or so, but yes, I, I guess it is a big celebration, getting to 250 in any podcast is uh, I think a notable achievement this has taken place over well actually more than uh, five years probably something like six or seven years and uh, you know it reflects the amount of time and energy we've spent talking about uh, Windows Mobile, Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile, Future of Windows and actually more recently sort of all the subjects connected to it about mobile in general but it's been an absolute pleasure to record it with my co-host steve who's done an enormous amount of work so big thank you to him but of course the biggest thank you really goes to our listeners who have uh, yeah. tuned in faithfully and uh, who keep sending the good feedback and continuing to listen to the, the podcast so thank you very much to everyone listening yeah even those people who don't even own a windows phone anymore they still <laughs> listen because they like us wittering on which is even more remarkable but there we go yeah 250 rafe so we have and a phone scene which is not exactly high profile in the tech world and yet there are still plenty of people out there not only who like listening to us but who do have windows 10 mobile phones windows phones maybe not always as a primary sometimes they are sometimes they aren't but who are still very interested in seeing where this goes and, and finding uses and interesting applications for their old hardware i don't think that we're totally dead in the water but it, things may be winding down but we're gonna have some good fun while it lasts well, I don't think it's quite an ex-parrot yet, but it's probably heading that way. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, of course, now we increasingly talk about the wider topics around mobile, and I think uh, that enables us to remain interesting to our loyal audience. But yes, big thank you for those who have hung in there with us. Uh, I know there are some of you who have listened to all 250 episodes and have uh, talked about <laughs> listening to the first episode, and I can only express my <laughs> admiration and, and my thanks. I think we've witted over many subjects uh, over the years and I think I look forward to continuing to do so my uh, I would want to say weekly as it used to be but these days it's more sort of every two or three weeks fix of chatting with Steve with a kind of core topic of Microsoft and phones but increasingly now we sort of talk about it more generally and of course we try and sort of provide from perspective in the sense of why something's been done a certain way and increasingly all the things that orbit around phones now whether that be you know smart home or voice or looking to the future and of course we still do the photo comparisons which gives us an opportunity to talk about the other platforms yeah. and and hopefully we can continue to provide you with an informed perspective that yeah maybe based around windows and indeed i think there may be some more news in due course i mean i was uh, fooled for about 15 seconds by uh, <laughs> steve's post on april the 1st i thought oh that's interesting and then oh um, on that particular <laughs> date but who knows there's probably more to talk about but I, I don't think we're any get, ever going to run out of things to wish about, are we, Steve? No, indeed. In fact, if you look at allaboutsymbian.com, you'll find that some of the uh, editorials and features and flows I've been posting over the last year or so, they've been relevant to that. So Symbian, which is an OS, let's face it, which has been dead for half a decade, is still getting stories that pe are still getting people commenting on them, reading them and finding them of interest. On Monday coming up, just a tease. I've got another of my photographic shootouts. This one is 100% by popular demand. I wasn't going to do it, but everyone in the comments said, do it, do it, do it. So I am pitching finally 
the it's a zoom a zoom tastic comparison the nokia 808 the lumia 1020 and the new samsung galaxy s9 plus mm, so basically to look forward to yeah so it's zoom zooming all the time and i think everyone's saying do the classic nokia steve i suspect that the newer hardware will win out samsung's processing and all but uh for 808 and 1020 they've still got a trick up their sleeves so i think that's going to be a very interesting one to watch yeah it will be i mean that's maybe a good point to start this uh podcast because actually this week you've been looking at the s9 plus and I think you describe it as the imaging tipping point with the yeah. Steve finally giving in. So so what do you actually mean by that? Because we talked about the S9 last time around and kind of stealing the crown somewhat. Is the S9 Plus sort of giving you a little bit extra? It absolutely is. And it it doesn't really surprise me all the time from that 808 and 1020 with the zoom facility, admittedly outputting at five megapixels, but it was genuinely lossless zoom. You know, we all thought this is really useful. And once you've started, you know, zooming in on subjects, you can get much closer, more intimate with faces. You can actually zoom in on on details in landscapes and you can you see all of a sudden your photography takes on a new aspect. Um, we have the Samsung K zoom, which I'm tempted to throw into the Monday's uh, part just for the sake of interest. Um, but this S9 Plus is the first really mainstream smartphone i mean really mainstream as in every high street shop running the mo the dominant os smartphone os on the planet and yet it's got a camera a main camera that is draws level with the lumia 950xl the previous champion in my eyes and yet as with the iphone 10 you've got this extra telephoto two times zoom lens which in, in normal outdoor conditions works really really well so that does genuinely draw it ahead and in, in my scoring i think re- reflects that it's not to say that if you don't if you don't do much zooming, if you if you're happy with just snapping scenes as is, then I guess you won't you'll be happy with your old Lumia. But I promise you, um, once you start doing zooming of any kind, certainly in events, um, parties, gigs, uh, festivals, all that sort of stuff, all of a sudden a zoom lens, even a two times zoom lens, just absolutely comes into its own, and you'll think, wow, uh, I'm. I, I'm so much closer to what I want to photograph. I'm really enjoying having a zoom facility. And that does genuinely draw it ahead in my eyes. And as I say, yeah, it is mainstream. You can walk into any high street in any Western country, probably, heck, probably most East Eastern countries as well. Um, and you will find the Samsung Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus for sale. And that's that's unusual because the 808 and the 1020, they were really quite niche devices even back in the day, uh, Rafe. So we've got a high street camera champion that's also a general smartphone champion. And because it's got all the unique selling points of the, the you know, the Lumias and the Simba devices in terms of today's technology with the headphone jack and the Qi charging, um, then you really kind of got the phone that's got everything. And if any if anybody is going to jump from a Windows 10 mobile device, um, then I still think this, this S9 Plus certainly for a 950xl owner like me really just has got absolutely everything yeah it's interesting because we identified it last time we spoke as being interesting having seen it in uh, barcelona when it launched uh mwc it was a it was clear it was a, a special device and now we've had some of the reviews out it, it really does stand out uh i think there it's not completely uh, uh flawless i mean people will talk about the samsung design and some of the the software things that Samsung have added, but it is a very, very strong candidate. But what's interesting for my mind, if we talk about the camera, we've often talked about how, you know, if you leave aside some of the software considerations, the hardware that Nokia put together hasn't really been beaten. 
And it's really telling that it's taken this long for it to actually happen. And indeed, yeah. I'd go further than that and say it's a specific hardware enhancement, this sort of telephoto lens that really pushes things over the edge. And uh, Steve's scoring was kind of 58 out of 70 for the 950XL and 63 out of 70 for the S9+. Plus. I mean, that's still relatively close for one of these yeah, comparisons, yeah. but is, is a clear advantage for the Samsung. But as I say, what's interesting for me is that it was that addition of a piece of hardware. Um, and that probably does uh, say something about the way uh, Steve and all about put the photo comparisons together in that they are focused on kind of pure quality of the output. And yeah. I mean, it's fair to say a lot of the modern smartphone camera is about the, the software. And I think that's becoming even more true. We talked about computational photography but actually it's taken you know a notable leap forward in the way hardware is put together um, and i'd say this zoom thing's a particularly interesting one i mean i think people kind of tend to forget but when the a to eight came out and it had the oversampling there was a lot of focus on on pure view and what oversampling did for it but of course it also had a, an amazing zoom ability um, in the sense that when it didn't take advantage of the oversampling and the kind of flexibility that that gave you in framing photos and enabling you to capture things, I think was somewhat forgotten. I mean, the, the big thing about smartphones is, you know, most part they haven't had Zoom or when you have had Zoom, it's been analog and you kind of, um, sorry, digital rather, and you you get poor results. Um, but if you go back to the pre-smartphone, you know, when people were having point and shoot and the kind of cheap digital cameras, most of them did have some kind of Zoom built in. They had the flexibility and Honestly, for a long time, that's why I think some people still continue to carry a standalone camera around. And even now, you know, you, you cannot achieve with a smartphone or a standard smartphone some of the things you can with a higher end point shoot, you know, just because of the yeah, flexibility. Yeah. But that zooming really makes a difference on the framing. And I know people will sit here and go, oh, but you can edit the framing afterwards. You can get a photo. And that's true because actually the photos are now high resolution enough to allow for that sort of thing, you know, even for printing out afterwards and certainly good enough for social media usage. But there's something nice about being able to do it when you're capturing it, that kind of ability just to move in. And, you know, you'll observe this if you watch people taking photos. They'll actually physically move around and get closer to their subjects or move backwards. Well, of course, when you've got the zoom in, that there's less of a need to do that. And the purists, of course, are going to be screaming, oh, no, don't use the zoom, you know, frame it properly. But we're talking about real-world usage. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's where this really stands out in terms of the new hardware edition that just makes it easier to capture great photos. And a lot of the other hardware enhancements that we've seen recently have been the moving in that direction or have been a, a bit about quality. But this, for me, is a, a significant leap forward in the same way that some of the low light performance that we you know, saw with Nokia and then was subsequently been replicated. Um, and honestly, you know, this really does, in a way, things that the 808 and the 1020 were doing, but it achieves it in a different way. And this kind of... Uh, this trend we've seen for using multiple cameras um, to achieve this is very interesting to me and is a reflection that you can do that with all the extra processing power you've got on the phone. So, yeah, yeah. thumbs up from me as well, the S9 Plus. I mean, there is another um, recent smartphone yeah. announcement that we can probably talk about in that arena as well, Steve. Yes. Now, I never met either of these two guys. Of course, I've spoken many times about Yuha I'm not going to massacre his surname, Alakahu. <laughs> That's close enough. Um, there, there was his co-conspirator in, in the invention of the pure view concept and those initial 41 megapixel cameras was some a name like Ilamo Selmalin. Does that ring a bell? It does indeed. I'm sure you've met the guy because you were over there at the launches, but he has ended up at Huawei. Um, and guess what? The brand new Huawei P40 
Pro has a 40 megapixel camera with oversampling. So it's clear he's taken some of the same ideas over there. And yet again, yes, we've got the S9 Plus with um, this... Uh, uh, multi-exposure capture and the and the telephoto but that even that's been eclipsed within the space of one month by the resurgence of PureView um, in the guise of Huawei and the P20 Pro looks to take f phone photography to the next level again and using some of the classic ideas from, from Nokia back in the day so that's even more exciting absolutely it is and I mean it's kind of it seems like an arms race now three cameras on the back of the device you wonder <laughs> uh, how many more and I mean Actually, Huawei, I think they've got their partnership with Leica as well. So that is very reminiscent of the kind of Carl Zeiss optics or yeah, yeah. You know, that, that uh, Nokia had with uh, PureView. Um, I think the thing I would probably say about this Huawei P20 is it feels not quite as much attention has been put into finishing it. So I think the raw hardware is that in, is very impressive and particularly um, this you know, 40 megapixel sensor. I mean, maybe I'm just biased at sort of demonstrating my device history. I always say that, you know, your preferences are dictated by what you've used in the past. And I have such a soft spot for the 808 and the 1020. Um, but what, what I mean about that is that, um, Huawei, if you look at some of the early reviews coming out and the results from the camera, they are undoubtedly impressive. But um, there's a sense that there may be some over-processing going on um, and look like they some of the output yeah. has gone, gone a bit too much through photoshop but i have no doubt that the kind of the raw capability of this could be as impressive as the s9 plus um and actually overtake it once this sort of you know becomes to its full fruition you know it gets to full maturity um inevitably huawei are, are one of the first to do this um approach you know, all these three cameras um so it'll be interesting to see where things develop from here um and it, as i say it almost feels like an arms race and it's kind of quite satisfying to see because it does feel like there had been a certain amount of stagnation on the camera front for a little while. And so the dual cameras coming in certainly invigorated that a bit. But before that, it had been more about things on the front-facing camera with the resolution getting higher there or wide angle or, you know, clever use of the flash and things like that. But uh, P20, certainly interesting. I mean, hopefully Steve will get a chance to get his hands on one and we'll, we'll get yeah. to a bit more information on this. But certainly in terms of the, I mean, do you think it's an interesting idea leaving aside any actual real world performance uh, combining those three cameras together to kind of give you again i guess it's more flexibility when you're taking photos uh, absolutely i mean i was listening to miriam joire on her podcast and she was describing the way this p20 pro has all three cameras active all the time so that you're not only having a, a pure view 40 megapixel oversampled lossless zoom uh, a camera you've got a a monoc 20 megapixel monochrome and a another a t and a telephoto lens as well so you've got two different zoom cameras on the same phone and yet the software knows exactly the the distance between the, the the three lenses and can correct for that so it can take three exposures two of which may well be zoomed one optically zoomed one digitally zoomed and then somehow combines them if you think about that just for a moment the sheer amount of um, computation involved to merge those three images and to manage what's happening in real time presenting something sensible on the viewfinder and then providing a multi-exposure combination output jpeg at the same time for, for, for storage um, you, the computational aspects are absolutely massive but today's uh, isps the image signal processors in our phone cameras are staggeringly capable and that's why this is possible back in the days of the 808 they needed a, a separate, physically separate chip that did this, and it could only do that. 
And now we've got something many times more powerful than the 808s that's just running in the general chipset and is available for any graphical intensive task on the smartphone. And somehow, Matt Rafe, somehow it can manage these three completely disparate cameras completely that work in completely different ways and somehow merge their results in real time. It's just staggering. Yeah, I mean, when you think about what's going on behind the scenes, the, the mind does boggle, frankly, a little bit. I mean, I, it, it'll be interesting to see how hard it is to tune these just because I would imagine the complexity involved is going to be more significant in that kind of imaging workflow and, and what's going on uh, behind the scenes. But as I said, some of the early reviews have been, uh, maybe it's fair to say, less than complimentary about some of the output in terms of, I think, the processing. But as I say, the approach to me is is really interesting. I'm, I love to see this kind of camera hardware innovation. Um, and as you say, you know, when it's got all the cameras active at the same time, that fact that it is just about being able to do or rather capture more things more of the time and ultimately that's what's most important i mean imaging purists will will want to take one approach but for me i think the most value still comes from getting a great photo as many times as possible and not making me think too much about how what i need to do or how i need to capture that um and that you know i I guess i call it the forgiving factor how forgiving is your smartphone when it, it comes to taking and you know honestly the iphone's yeah. done recently done well on that recently nokia i think always did pretty well on that it was one of the hallmarks of it um of course it's subjective we've talked about overprocessing and all of that sort of thing in the past but yeah great to see this going on and long may it continue yeah and it's, it's really a testament though just to, to go back to the lumias and, and nokia hardware that the not just the 808, but the 1020 um, is still a beloved device. And it's not, that was launched in 2013, five years ago, which is an yeah, eternity. Amazing. It's still a beloved device for many people. People are still out there using a 1020 on Windows Phone 8.1 in 2018. The 930, surprisingly, people still swear by that. I mean, it's a lovely piece of hardware. Um, and they still swear by using that and taking perfectly good photographs. Um, now under Windows 10 Mobile, of course, the 950 has had, I mean, that's 2015, so it's two and a half years old, believe it or not, Rafe. And that still takes incredible photographs, really. And it's only really the fact that Microsoft has been reshifting and uh, re- reshuffling its operating systems and, it, and approach that's even made us look elsewhere to other operating systems and wonder, you know, wondering, do we jump? And if so, where to? And which has got me thinking about things like the S9 Plus and the P20 Pro. But the, those three classic Lumias, they've had they had a terrific run and they're still in use. Yeah. And I mean, this is the probably important thing to also remember, just because the latest thing on the block takes better photos or is the new champion, it doesn't devalue continuing to use those classic phones and yeah i've I've, I've, I've still got an enormous soft spot for the 808 as being the kind of last great symbian camera device and also the 1020 just because it was such an iconic design particularly the yellow version of that it's instantly recognizable um and there's there there is something nice about continuity honestly you know they come out for me on like a rare occasion and i am using you know a bit an iphone or one of the more recent Androids, Pixels, you know, the some of the Samsung devices. Um, but I, I, you know, yeah, it's nostalgia maybe. Uh, but yes, you're right to identify that. And actually, we, we've talked about that peak in imaging and how the increments have, you know, been smaller. Yeah. I, I would almost be prepared to say that kind of, you know, maybe you could look at the uh, dual cameras, but that was kind of getting too similar to where I think, you know, in some ways, some things like the 1020 and the 950 were. It's only with some of these more recent additions where you're getting to the telephoto lens as a third thing 
and obviously something like the P20, that's the point which I can genuinely hand on heart say, yeah, two and a half years after the 950, five years after the 1020, that feels like it's a step forward and you can justifiably yeah. say that's the best camera uh, smartphone in hardware terms. Um, and leaving aside the software, because that's a more difficult thing, and I shouldn't really need the software side, because, of course, that's all yeah. about the processing. But when I say software, I mean kind of the other bits, the interface, the things that you can do afterwards, the clever tricks. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that, in one sense, that that is a testament to just how good those devices were. So as we have our 250th podcast, I think we can be forgiven a bit of nostalgia, sort of thinking back to our very favorite uh, Windows phone device in terms of, of camera capabilities, and that's... Uh, maybe it's the 920, maybe it's the 950 XL. I'd, I'd probably have the soft spot for the 1020, even if the uh, 950 <laughs> ultimately uh, stole the crown in that department. And I too would go for the 1020, but I have to, this small anecdote, Rafe, and I was rather jealous of you at one stage because we both went to the 1020 launch in London. I think it was, might, might have been the O2. Anyway, it was somewhere in that vicinity. And they gave out the 64 gigabyte um, uh, locked to O2. Uh, versions and I thought I was quite jealous because you had it and I and you took it away <laughs> and I didn't I I walked away from that event with nothing and I was feeling rather sad now I, I, true I did have a pre-production device in my pocket which I didn't tell anyone about uh, but when I finally got a retail 1020 it was it was indeed the 32 gigabyte version remember these phones did not have micro SD expansion so I, I have to confess for that first year of 1020 ownership I was rather jealous that you had twice the capacity of me <laughs> Uh, yes, I do remember that. And actually, that launch event, uh, you're right, it was sort of at the O2, Nokia set something up where we were able to see a stunt taking place, which half of us missed because we were too busy playing with the new devices we'd just <laughs> been handed, and then took a, a boat ride up the uh, river and then got taken to a kind of, uh, I'd describe it as a gymnastics event. And we were busy playing with the uh, devices. And yes, as I recall, because you had the uh, early sample, we sort of decided between us, well, <laughs> I'd, I'd have have it, and also I think it was locked to O2, which was also a bit of a factor at the time. Yeah, but I still still have that device. Um, it was one of the ones I didn't have to hand back um, as a review piece of hardware, and it's one of my sort of treasured in my phone collection, um, just because, as I say, iconic device, instantly recognisable, and I can still remember being at the the launch. So we it was in Barcelona. Um, Nokia wasn't holding a massive press event as it had sometimes do when it used to hire out a kind of grand palace in Barcelona. It was actually held on the stand uh, within the MWC event, so relatively limited seating. And uh, they, we, we knew something was going to happen, but actually not much had leaked, and that was relatively unusual. Normally there was a bit of information about the device coming along. And uh, suddenly sort of uh, the stage was revealed and sort of uh, – a 1020-esque kind of background opened up and they started talking about it and they then said, it's got a 40 megapixel camera. And you hear, I, I can remember everyone around me going, what, did I hear that right? That can't be right, not 40 megapixels. And it's one of the very rare occasions when I've been at a phone launch where, where people have kind of gasped in shock and it wasn't put on, it wasn't sort of prompted by uh, Nokia staff at the back clapping or gasping. It was the, the assembled media honestly being quite taken aback because it was such a leap forward i mean you have to remember at the time you know eight megapixel cameras were considered you know pretty good it's not like today where you it was fairly routine to sort of have 24 megapixels or 20 megapixels and you know a, a lot of the immediate reaction was what on earth are they doing that makes no sense at all because it was 
Oh, this is bad. The megapixel race. Yeah, no, it can't possibly run. As it was then explained in more detail and oversampling was talked about, you know, there was this sort of sigh of contempt as people understood that, you know, once again, Nokia had announced something that was really quite special in the imaging department. And you know, I can remember the launch of the N82 and as well as the N93. And, you know, they, they had their moments, um, the N82, and it was all about the Xenon flash in a lot of ways. But, you know, with the 808, it sort of, it was such a, such a jump and so unexpected. As I say, I, I remember it fondly just because it was one of the few events where there was this genuine sense of surprise and then getting on on the on the stand afterwards, having a chance to play with it, uh, talking to Yuha and, and, and some of the team behind it. And they were obviously so proud of what they'd been working on. And, you know, it had taken place over many years of development. And there's the story, I think, well known that the initial idea for it started on the back of a napkin. And it's kind of this classic tech development story. And, you know, it helped that it was kind of the Nokia team at the height of its design prowess in many ways, that kind of polycarbonate shell with a big black kind of surround on the camera, which, of course, was much bigger than it needed to be, but really emphasized the fact that this was a great camera device. And kind of the curved side, that strong yellow, and I can remember talking to the design team about, you know, why that yellow, and they'd gone to a lot of trouble to choose that. And people will know the kind of polycarbonate shells are kind of yellow all the way through, so that that dye is very specifically chosen. They talked about the, you know, journey to get there. And it, as I said, it, it was it's a moment that sticks with me just because of the surprise, but also the care and obvious passion that the team had put into it. And I, I honestly can't think of another device, um, certainly since then, that has engendered that same sense of wonder. Honestly, I mean, in many ways, it was equivalent to when the iPhone got announced and the kind of gasp of surprise about that. 1020 was a much more niche device and I, I should probably temper some of what I'm saying by even then people realized that this was kind of a example of what could be done and we didn't know it at the time but kind of as the last hurrah in some ways of that top imaging team um, before obviously it went to Microsoft and all of that happened but yeah in that sense incredibly exciting so um, probably a very fitting topic to dwell on a little bit as we talk about talk our way through 250 um, series on the podcast yeah and if the Rafe's narrative they got a tiny bit confusing because you were jumping about between the 808 and the 1020 Indeed. quite a bit it should be it should be noted that the two are very much sister devices on different platforms and uh, the, the 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 pure view technology was developed on symbian first so it ended up coming out on symbian even though symbian by that time had been quote shot in the head um, but let's not go there again um but the, the in parallel to that they thought we've got to get this technology onto to our new platform windows phone and that's where the 1020 came in but i do consider the 808 and the 1020 sister devices and it's very fitting really that as we record this podcast in a couple of days time i'm going to be doing a camera comparison on both sites with the very latest 2018 s9 plus that involves the 808 from 2012 and the 8, uh, uh, 1020 from 2013 and they're still going strong they're still competing and they're not showing themselves up too shabbily in five and six years mm. after launch so there we are which anyway. is amazing and you're right i was getting so excited about reminiscing that <laughs> of course all that shock and surprise was about the 808 although the 1020 equally well you know especially the design of it um caused a caused quite a stir but yes, when I talk about the 808, that was, you're quite right, um, yeah. that was the shock and surprise. That was the one that was announced on, say, MWC, and particularly so because that was the the period when, of course, you know, the switch to Windows phone had been announced. And so there was sort of, it was, yeah. um, some people thought it was a phone that was dead on arrival. But um, yes, as I say, the, the 808 
Uh, yes, I, I, I sigh just thinking about it. Uh, I also sigh thinking about some of the leaks of the 1020. Indeed. Do you remember about a week or two before it launched, uh, there were some kind of a spy close-up shots, really luxurious close-up shots of its camera island released. I think it was a black version. And you just you could see the met- circle of metal and the same 41 megapixel, a similar Xenon flash. And you think, yes, you know, this 808 wasn't just a one-off. They're bringing this same technology to a new platform and to the future. And that was just so exciting when I got my hands on the 1020 for the very first time. But uh, we must move on, Rafe. This, this is a, <laughs> they're classic devices. They're, it's curious that both of us have the same favourite uh, Lumia, if you like, over the last half decade or so. But uh, do let us know in the comments what your favourite Lumia of the times was. A few other bits from the site, Rafe. I, I've just started um, reviewing PWAs. Now, you're obviously well familiar with these progressive web apps. Basically, uh, uh, think of HTML5 websites, but then take it to the next level, storing more of the JavaScript code, more of the resources locally in sort of temporary storage uh, within the web browser. Uh, and then you know, piling on the interactivity. And in many cases, and Twitter is a good example of this, mobile.twitter.com gives you the official, and it is now official for Windows 10 desktop, uh, official Twitter client for Windows is a PWA. And it just sits and it runs effectively in either an Edge or in an Edge instance under under um, the scope of a, an application icon. And you get the full Twitter experience. Um and it works pretty well on, on desktop computers, and it kind of works pretty well on, on phones, but without the push notifications, which I'm hoping that they'll fix either in an Edge update or in a PWA update. But either way, um, the PWA can be updated and, and patched at the you know its server side. So Twitter, for example, in this case, can, can update its PWA code. And instantly, every single client, whether it's on a phone, a tablet, a HoloLens, laptop, whatever, they will instantly be running the very latest PWA app. So it even solves the rollout uh, situation. But yeah, there's some very good PWAs out there and lots more appearing all the time. It is. I mean, the Twitter one, I would say, is a good example of where PWA starts to push the boundaries a little bit in terms of kind of the performance, particularly when you're going through uh, lots of switches between timelines and user views, because that does have to... Uh, loading and it, at least for me when I've been using it it's a bit slower than a dedicated uh, Twitter app and there are a couple I think you mentioned Aries and Tweetium as being good UWP apps for yeah. for Twitter um, but yeah it's a good example I think you also uh, recently reviewed Flipboard as a yeah. application that's a PWA and that's a great example of that but absolutely makes sense to be a PWA because it's mainly about content yeah. It's mainly about making reading said content, so aggregating it, making it easy to read. And so it works really well. Um, I mean, I would echo the comments we've made in the past about it being slightly irritating to see the kind of address bar remaining as kind of making it obvious that you're in edge. Because some of the rest of the time, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be that obvious that you were actually in, in a browser. So, I mean, there always tend to be a few caveats with PWAs. You've mentioned some of them, you know, like the broken push notifications on, on Twitter and you know, I guess on a PW uh, on on Flipboard, it's not quite as slick as you know a dedicated app, but it's yeah. probably going to be good enough for most people. And I suppose, in one sense, you know, this is a way for Windows 10 mobile users who might be feeling like they're a bit shortchanged by new applications to get some new things to play with on their phone. Although, indeed, the uh, apps continue to roll out into the Windows Store, so there are, are things to play with if you if you want to do so. Yeah, I did notice that in Edge on Windows 10 Mobile, if you go into the settings, 
uh, and then down in the advanced settings you can actually turn on all the things that people are talking about in conjunction with PWAs and this is more your field than mine Rafe but things like the service workers and the background operation oh. of those workers and in theory if those you've checked those you've restarted the browser in theory they should all be working um, and yet they're not in theory PWAs like the Twitter PWA in theory that should be able to uh, use push notifications and yet it doesn't so I get the feeling and I, I'm hopeful Rafe that between Edge being tweaked every month and the regular Windows 10 um, updates patch Tuesday coming up very shortly and between that and the PWAs being updated that we will start to see genuine app-like functionality from these PWAs. Absolutely. And, um, you know, things like the full screen API, I mean, probably the big one for something like Twitter is uh, background sync, which in theory can update timelines or yeah. with Flipboard, you can update some of your, your content. And that does get interesting because um, actually most of the uh, PWAs on Windows and actually most of the ones out there don't use all the features. And so, there is absolutely an opportunity, as you say, to yeah. have the PWAs advance themselves. Uh, but yes, you know, I'd be pretty optimistic as well about Edge being updated to fix some problems. And uh, you know, I haven't looked into it in detail, but I'm sure there are some because, as we know, that is one of the things that's continuing to be updated on the Windows 10 mobile platform through the various updates that are, are rolling through. So definitely worth keeping an eye on, and we'll continue to report on kind of the best PWAs in the situation on Windows 10 mobile. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, by the way, Rafe, I've got an exclusive for, for you. Uh, I, I did an exclusive here from the Microsoft Maps team. I've, I've been chasing them for months about this. Do you remember I was complaining about the, that the maps being a bit out of date and some of the new roads down in the West Country just not being there? Um, I, I estimated they were something like 15 months out of date. Uh, well, Microsoft has now agreed with me. And because I'd been chasing them, they were kind enough to give us an exclusive statement, which thankfully other sites have picked up and actually linked back to us for once. But anyway, the, the summary uh, from the, the official uh, group program manager from the Bing Maps team is basically saying they've been doing all sorts of architectural changes behind under the scenes, uh, under the hood, um, and that has taken time. They're, they're almost at the stage now where they can be back on track, and hopefully within a few months of the latest, you know, here maps, baseline maps, they'll be more or less up there and certainly have all the new roads from 2017, and that will happen early summer, I think, is the latest estimate. So I think we're talking about June or so, which is a couple of months away. So it is good news that they, they've, that A, they've acknowledged the fact that they were actually behind. They're not just sticking their head in the sand. They are actually actively doing work. B, they're going to carry on licensing here's data, which is good. Uh, and C, we haven't got that long to wait. Hopefully by the yeah, summer, we will have bang up to date maps that will, uh, you know, rival Google Maps. Yeah, it's really encouraging. And actually, I think you have to say thank you to uh, Microsoft and Lauren in particular for kind of reaching out like that and being willing to sort of uh, give a statement to, to talk about it because it definitely is one of the things that has been most irritating in terms of use of um, maps on, on Windows and indeed use of kind of a, a Windows 10 mobile yeah. device because it's such an important function of a modern smartphone. As we've commented in the past, how much you're affected by it does depend on how many new devices, sorry, new devices, new roads and new things that are around you. Um, living in london i haven't been that badly affected by it um, but i know it, when you're doing navigation it can be yeah. um, particularly irritating so you know good to see it coming it's yeah it'll be here in a couple of months and so yeah thumbs up up for that and uh, thank you for listening microsoft yeah and if you I guess if you're in the country let's say sussex <laughs> or if you're in london 
say, both the two places that you live, Rafe, neither of them are really likely to see any groundbreaking new roads. But there are plenty of towns in most countries, I would I would hesitate to suggest, uh, where their towns are expanding, they're growing, and you get new bypasses, you get new ring roads, you get roads that make a significant difference uh, to your journey times. Um, in my case, it was Taunton in the West Country, which is a town of, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, about 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, and normally to get from the west of the t- t- east east of the town to the west of the town, you kind of have to go through the town centre and it's a real pain. There's now a, a road which just literally jumps over the, the main busy high street and takes you from one side to the other. And it saves a good five or ten minutes on every journey, which I think is huge. And yet it's just not there in Windows 10 maps. Mm. So, so there are plenty of t- town examples around, certainly around Europe, where this sort of expansion is taking place. And it is absolutely vital in terms of optimising your journey to have these new roads represented in your phone's map data. Absolutely. And I've got to say, I really like the idea of calling these uh, new roads canary roads, uh, which is what uh, Steve (laughs) has dubbed them in order to identify when there's a a map update coming. If you're expecting to see something fluffy with wings on the side of the road as you go past, you are going (laughs) to be disappointed. This is very definitely a case of a canary down the coal mine. So in this case, it's a bit of tarmac telling Steve that uh, Windows Maps data has been updated. But I just I just love the phrase Canary Road. It's such a such a elegant terminology for describing how we can work out that the map data has been updated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one final thing on the podcast, Rafe. Um, why replaceable batteries went away. Now, I've been a huge champion. I still am, really, of having the idea of being able to replace your own battery when the battery's down in capacity, or if you want to keep a charge spare in the glove box. But I absolutely recognise that, for once, the industry trend has gone away from Steve Litchfield. And uh, I can kind of see why, because uh, my contention here is that it was actually very hard to find replacement batteries. You and I both know, and I've done numerous editorials on both both our sites in the past, that you get a, a device like the Nokia 808 and Symbian or the uh, the uh, Lumia 950, for example, Lumia 640, all of these devices, you think, okay, they've got replaceable batteries, no problem, I'm going to stock up. You go looking for them. You can't buy them for love nor money. I'm still getting one, one email a week, Ray, from Nokia 808 owners for a 2012 phone saying, where can I buy the BV, whatever it was, BP4L, the, the specialist battery for the for the Nokia 808. And I say to them, just, just get the, the bog standard one from the Nokia. I think it was the N8. It still fits and it's slightly less capacity, but heck, at least that's available. But so many of these phones, they have, but they come out with replaceable batteries. And if you're very, very lucky, you might be able to buy one two or three months after after the phone is new. When the phone's new, the accessories are nowhere to be seen. The manufacturers say, well, don't worry, come back in a couple of months, we'll have some accessories for you, including batteries. And they do. And they're on sale for about a week. And then for the rest of the phone's life, they're nowhere to be seen. And worse than that, you, you people then start relying on the third-party clones and the fakes. And, of course, they don't hold their charge. They provide a poor user experience. And in worst case, they actually catch fire and destroy the phone. So I, I can kind of see why the trend in the industry has been for manufacturers to take total control say, look, you guys are not going to replace your own batteries. We're not going to bother selling them. It's too much a hassle doing all the distribution uh, and also you, we just don't trust you guys to not to go off and buy cheaper fakes and thereby thereby destroy the phone in the process so I, I think the industry in this one case this one case Rafe has gone in the right direction against my wishes wow well uh, I've listened to many a Steve Grant <laughs> over the year about you know it should have had a replaceable battery or 
you should be carrying a spare battery with me. I think I've never been bothered in, in quite the same way. I mean, I think the key thing here is early smartphones. This actually was a problem because genuinely it was often difficult to get through a day of use. And it seems amazing to suggest that uh, now. And you can see this a device with smaller screens, much less kind of resource intensive. But it's kind of a testament to how modern smartphones are able to manage their energy budget. What I mean by that, the kind of the amount of energy they use to do a certain thing, whether that's powering a big screen or doing uh, computationally intensive tasks. And, you know, that's because the process and the technologies come on leaps and bounds, same for the screen. You know, there are fewer really energy intensive things. And of course, the batteries have improved as well. They've gone up in capacity terms. The density has increased. There hasn't been any kind of massive kind of breakthrough that's kind of had a quantum leap effect in improving kind of capacity or you know a, a, you know, a, a factor of 10 difference but they've definitely improved but i think one of the biggest things that put paid to kind of the replaceable battery was um it genuinely weakened the kind of the design in that you had to think about how you made the battery removable and the kind of the move to the kind of single body phones it just made it easier and cheaper to embed the battery in the device. And that coupled with the fact that you were able to get pretty decent kind of USB battery chargers that you could just plug into the phone and charge the phone. And yes, it wasn't quite as convenient. It wasn't quite as elegant. But honestly, for people who you know kept a phone in a pocket or in a bag, they could very quickly just plug in one of those battery chargers and get back up to a certain amount of capacity, certainly enough to get them through the day. So, yes, I have to agree with you, Steve. Despite your love of the replaceable battery, a combination of those factors plus the retail environment you talked about meant this. I mean, it's a complete no-brainer for me. Um, the one exception I would say is I can remember deliberately taking certain devices with me um, because I knew the battery was replaceable when I was going to be out all day, like at a show uh, like MWC, when you're on your feet, taking lots of pictures, you know, calls going back and forth, data because you're uploading things to the website or whatever uh, and there I very deliberately took batteries along um, and but I had the problem of finding you know the batteries and often I took along because um, not every phone had a unique battery you could kind of switch other ones in I think you made a reference to the A to and what you could switch into that as well yeah um, but I remember doing it with the Symbian C7 I think it was which used they were kind of family devices that use similar battery but yes I you know case of progress and a case of I mean, if you think about the modern smartphone now, I think pretty much every device you buy is going to get through a day's worth of use as long as you're not going absolutely bananas on the use with loads of streaming of video. I think it's pretty rare now to get to a case where you're going to have to recharge the phone, certainly over a kind of a 10-hour period. And once you start talking longer, that may be a bit of a challenge. But yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased we've moved away from the days of where it kind of, if you used it intensively for three or four hours, you might have a problem and of course, things like wireless charging and the ease of doing that as well, and also yeah, the fast yeah. charging technology, meaning now that you can often top up your your battery to eighty percent in less than an hour. You know, so although we talk about iterative changes and things haven't changed much, actually, you know, that kind of increase in battery capacity, the fact that the batteries now take up you know eighty percent of the internals of the phone and more, whereas actually before it was quite often less than that, just because the other components were quite big. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. portable veteran. Yeah, so yeah, things things move on, and I have to agree with you, Steve. The industry got this one right. Well, 
part of me then looks at something like a Nokia E72 <laughs> or an E90, a whole family of devices which, which had a completely common battery, the thing with BP4L, which I described yeah. at the time as the hero battery. And that's one way the industry could have gone whereby you had a, a standard battery size and every phone was designed around that standard battery size so that you could literally swap batteries between any phone and you'd have, everyone would have a stock of four or five of them and you'd have mains charge of them. But that was kind of a nirvana in this... Uh, heterogeneous world of phones with different manufacturers and different ideas and different form factors that was never really going to fly so I think we have ended up at a situation where we're most of us are happy most of the time and uh, yeah that chi charging I think yeah. is probably key for most I do have one question here though Steve we're making a pretty big assumption here and that's that people aren't having problems with the kind of battery running down after they've been using it for maybe 12 months 18 months I suspect it's a problem you and I don't come across all that often because it's actually unusual for us to use the same phone for that long period of time. But, you know, the recent problems or the recent controversy around uh, Apple and sort of putting uh, the battery mode on iOS, and that's obviously recently come off on 11.3, or at least they've given people the option to see it and uh, have offered up free battery. But it is interesting because that is the problem with sealed batteries if you've been using a phone every day for two years, you absolutely will see a decrease in capacity. And when it's all sealed in, it's very hard for a user to replace. It's generally something you're probably going to have to send off to be repaired. So probably is that the one caveat to this conversation that if you've got a phone that's more than, say, 18 months old and you've been using it every day, it does start to potentially become a problem? It is a caveat, although I suspect, it's, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm still, I've got a Nokia 808 and 1020 on the go. Goodness me, that's five or six years worth of use in each case. And they're still going. But I suspect a lot of it comes down to education. And I know plenty of normobs, normal users, who run their batteries down, you know, right down to zero. I mean, they, until the phone turns off. Uh, before they charge them again. And of course, that, that absolutely knackers the battery. Um, Lithium-ion batteries absolutely hate that sort of behavior they like being topped up they like being charged as much as possible um you, the people listening to this they know about good battery battery um hygiene if you like they are very much aware that they never want to run out before the end of the day so they make sure they've got emergency chargers and chi chargers and they start each day at a full charge people listening to this podcast know what to do but i suspect for the man in the street they they probably do degrade their batteries capacity faster than most and a couple of years down the line they might need to to, to switch their phone out which they'd do anyway and then they'd hand their phone down to a a teenager in their family perhaps who wouldn't be quite so fussy the likes of you and i i mean i actually when i if i buy a phone with my own money i want it to last for four or five years Absolutely. and i want it to be a classic device on my shelf even after that and to still power up and be charged and still be usable if i want it to be but then i think i do look after my phone batteries i never ever let them get below about 10 15 percent even on a bad day um and yeah if you look after your batteries they'll look after you and the, that that degradation <laughs> won't be too bad yeah Anyway, I suspect your chocolate high is wearing off fast, Rafe. It's very late at night here now in the UK, so I'm going to say goodbye. Thanks for listening to the 250th AAWP Insight. Hopefully we'll go on for a bit longer, won't we, Rafe? Indeed we will. So, yes, thank you, everyone, for listening. And while I'm not going to promise there's going to be another 250, <laughs> I think I can promise that there will be some more podcasts to listen to. Big thank you to Steve as ever. There's been some great content on the site over the last few weeks. We've kind of gone over some of it um, on the podcast. But yeah, please tune in next time. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, drop us a note, any feedback, let us know. But thank you and please tune in for number 251.